Hey everyone, it's Mina from K-Pop Bookshelf. Today we have for you our first episode of our new sub-podcast series, Idol Book Club. It's like if your favorite K-Pop idol or Korean celebrity recommended a book to you and we all got together to read it. The first book club meeting is about the book Almond by Won Pyong Son. We are joined by our guest Jess from the ATC Presents Daebak K-Rambles podcast. Jess and I recorded this episode back in the summer of 2022. Almond is recommended to us by Namjoon and Yoongi of BTS. They were seen reading the book Almond on their popular show In the Soup back in 2020. A content note that there will be spoilers for the book in this episode, and we will be discussing a little bit about bullying, violence, and abuse, but we don't get into it too graphically. Because Jess is a K-drama podcaster, she mentions a ton of great K-dramas, the names of which I will post to my blog and in the notes in case you want to watch them. Of course, we will also have a lot of links about where we pull different things from. Also, stay tuned towards the end of the episode for our fantasy casting of who would play who if we were to make a K-drama version of Almond. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so this is Mina from K-Pop Bookshelf, and today we are joined by Jess from the Deba K-Rambles podcast. Welcome, Jess. Hey, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. You made me read a book, and it's been a long time since I've read a book, so this was a long time coming. I can't wait to talk about this book that we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, thank you so much for reading it. And prior to getting into this book, do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast? Yeah. So I basically host a K-drama podcast where we do a lot of deep dives on K-dramas, full reviews of K-dramas. And I had you on my season two for a review of Navulera. It was a lot of fun. And I I'm gearing up for season three, so it'll be a lot of fun as well. New guests, and hopefully we can get my uh, usual co-host Rico back on for an episode or two. Uh, his work schedule is crazy. So uh, my guests are wonderful. I love running it. And yeah, you can find it on ATC Debak Pod for all the socials. And the podcast is called Debak K Rambles Podcast. Yes, check it out. It's one of the better K-drama podcasts, in my opinion, and I love the deep dives you guys do. So check that out for sure. And today we're going to be discussing the book Almond by Won Pyong Son. And there will be spoilers in this episode. So if you've read the book, you can keep listening. Or if you don't want to listen to spoilers, you can turn this off and come back after you read the book. So before we get into the story, and we're going to do a quick overview of the characters in the book. The main character being Son Yunjae, a 15-year-old boy. Yunjae was born with smaller than average amygdala, which are structures in your brain. And as a result, he has a condition called alexithemia, which means he does not experience fear in the same way that other people do. So for example, he may not learn the way that some babies learn, like you can't touch a hot stove or, you know, it's dangerous to walk into traffic. He wouldn't necessarily learn that the same way, nor can he express emotions the same way other people do. So sometimes people with alexithemia are seen as being cold or aloof or just generally strange. So that's the main character of Yunjae. And his family consists of his mother and grandmother. So his mother's name is Jian. And she desperately wants him to come across as normal to other people. He wants, she wants him to be similar to other kids, to not stand out, because I think she's worried about him having a difficult life as mm. someone who's seen as quote unquote abnormal. Then there's Granny, as the translation calls her. She is Jian's mom. They were estranged, Jian and Granny, prior to Yunjae being born because she never accepted his father who passed away. But she later reunites with the family and seems to be more accepting of Yunjae or less obsessed with this need for him to be normal that Jian has. 
So then there's a tragedy, which we'll get into maybe later, but uh, not too much. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> after the tragedy, Dr. Shim, who is a former surgeon, now Baker, owns a bread shop above the bookstore that Yunjae's mom owned. And he was friends with Yunjae's mom. And after the tragedy, helps to look after and support Yunjae. And then we have the character of Professor Yoon, whose wife is in the same facility that Jin, Yunjae's mom, is at. And asks Yoonjae to pose as his recently discovered son who went missing 13 years ago in order to meet his wife before she dies. And we'll get into why that happened later. And then the character Gon, also known as Isu, he's Professor Yoon's son, the actual son who had gone missing 13 years ago. And Yoonjae impersonates him to meet Gon's mom just before she dies. And ironically, Gon and Yoonjae become friends. Next character we'll discuss is Dora, another student at Gon and Yunjae's school with a passion for running. She feels misunderstood by her parents. She kind of like has her own thing going on with running. She is both Yunjae's friend and crush. And Gon and Dora initially do not know about each other or the role they play in Yunjae's life at first. The last character I want to mention is Steel Wire, a local rough guy, possible criminal. He becomes a key character in the end. And he's someone that towards the end of the book, Gon starts to look up to until another tragedy strikes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's now get into the book as far as we're not going to dwell so much on the plot. We're just going to assume you've read the book just to save time. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, okay. So Jess, did you want to give some overall impressions of the book? Sure. So I took it to the beach with me to read and I read about half the book while I was at the beach on vacation. And it was a very easy read and I was kind of, taken aback by the way that it was written because it was very simple. And I think that it being first person from Yunjae's perspective was kind of jarring because obviously we just said he has very limited emotional range, if a range at all, if you could even call it a range. And so it's a very emotionless, cold way of writing. And throughout the series, about halfway through the book, you kind of realize that He's starting to feel things and starting to talk about things in a little bit more poetic sense that kind of makes you think that he is feeling feelings. Mm-hmm. And I really admired that about the book. And I feel like it's a very tough job for the translator to have done that and to have done that so successfully. Um, so I admire that from an editor's perspective to have not only translated it, but kept the spirit of this transformation that happens throughout the book. And I will say that the final third act of the book really does feel like a K-drama and is very yeah. cinematic in that sense. Totally. And um, with that being said, we'll talk more about that later, I'm assuming. But I think that my overall impressions are, it's kind of hard to put myself in the shoes of Yunjae because I do not have to struggle with having no emotions. <laughs> so when he's talking no, you about have things, emotions. you have emotions, I have, a, I'm a, yes. I have emotions and I don't struggle with my amygdala at all. So this is a challenge for me to read through this and feel kind of anything for him because he is so detached. Well, I actually, and I agree with everything you just said, but I liked how they wrote this because you do feel like you're in a National Geographic type of way, observing like another species. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're just living like it because the point of view in the book is Yunjae's point of view, which means he's very factual. He's very matter of fact, and he's not like emotionally invested in really anything. And mm-hmm. it's, and so in that sense, it makes it easy to read because it's just like, and then this happened, then that happened, then this happened. And then, yes. but then like you said, as the book progresses, he starts to sort of 
develop emotions kind of, it feels like, or like, you know, he starts to develop perspective. Yeah. And then I wanted to talk about Yoon Jae's family because I loved the character of Granny so much, even though it was hard to get a good read on his mom. Exactly. Mm. She was interesting. What did you think of them? So I liked Granny a lot because her demeanor is very much the harmonies that we encounter a lot in Korean media, like K-dramas. And so when he meets her in the McDonald's, you're just like, okay, this is a breath of fresh air because she's very boisterous and rough with both of them, her, her daughter and her grandson. But she opens up and is so soft towards him as well in a very you know, rough manner. She calls him like monster and stuff like that, but as a term of endearment, adorable monster, adorable monster. And it's a weird translation, but it gets the message across that, you know, she loves what makes him weird. Mm -hmm. She's very like unconditionally accepting. Yes. And she isn't quite, she doesn't give quite the same luxury to her own daughter. And I wonder if it's just because she forgives a lot of what her grandson does just because of his condition and her daughter doesn't have this impediment and she should know better than to, you know, have her life turn out like this, so to speak. That's an interesting perspective. Cause I actually thought of like, you know, how grandparents treat their grandkids way differently and cut them way. That's more also, mm, yeah. that's also part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But it definitely makes sense that she's like, Hey, you don't have this issue. Like, why are you so, so weird in her, her own little way? Cause she didn't do what she wanted her to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She basically married a nobody with, oh, I forget what the dad did stand like a tchotchke stand. Yes. He had like a tchotchke stand. And I mean, I would be pretty upset too. If I, if a, a child came to me and was like, Oh, I fell in love with this dude who sells shit on the side of the street. <laughs> I'd be like, what C- come again? <laughs> like, how are you guys going to support each other? Especially because she had grand ideas for Gian. She's like, she'll be a writer and she'll be poetic and she'll be artsy and she'll Mm -hmm. never marry just or have kids. She'll just live this like artsy life, bohemian life. Yeah. She wanted her to be like a Jane Austen (laughs) and that did not happen for her at all. Right. But I also love like, yeah, grannies. I think they both are unconditionally loving towards Jian, but they express it in different ways because, or mm. sorry, Yunjae, sorry, of uh, yeah, Yunjae, yeah. uh, because Jian wants is so consumed by like, oh my gosh, you know, Yunjae is going to have a difficult life. I don't want him to suffer, and so she's like busies herself with, I'm going to train him to act mm. quote unquote normal. So she's like, okay, this is when someone does this, you say, oh, I'm so sorry, or you say, oh, that you know, thank you so much, or whatever. So she teaches him and drills it into him yeah. how to overcome his quote unquote weirdness so that other people don't perceive him as weird. And I think her devotion in doing that, while maybe misguided, I think we could see it as misguided because she's so fixated on normalizing him. I mean, even in the book, she's he's like, he says to himself, he's like, she's just like obsessed with having a, a normal son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Granny is like, whatever, who cares? It's all his problem. <laughs> <laughs> and she yeah. defends him. Yeah, I absolutely love that about Granny. And it is kind of frustrating to read that in such a cold clinical way that the mom is training him like a parrot to recite things just out of formality. Yes. So that he can appear normal. And it's, it, I think it feels harsh for us because we come from a Western perspective, but in Korea where things are way more homogenous and there's such an emphasis on hierarchy, if he's at the bottom of the food chain over there, like it's an issue. 
That and also they don't go into this that much in the book, but like the customs of how to treat elders or people yes. in higher positions of mm-hmm. social, whatever, social, whatever, than you are. Yeah. Then he would need to know, like, this is when you're supposed to bow and to who and to how you address someone. That's a lot to learn. But I yeah. do think the time she takes and devotes to doing like training him with that is a proof, even though like it's, it does come across as weird. <laughs> it does. Co- yeah. It's overkill. It totally is. But he, and then I like too, how he kind of will go through a step series of steps of logic of like, well, this person is crying. So I should probably like be like, Oh, you know, what's wrong? Or like, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Or like he, he has to like mentally think about, Oh, this is how I should react because this person is doing this weird action. And he's very observant. He's he's super, super Super observant. And I like that about him. And he's constantly asking questions of people in his mind. And I, I think that we do that without even realizing. So for him, when he sees someone crying, he just doesn't know if they're crying out of happiness. Are they crying out of frustration? Are they crying because they're actually sad? And it trips him up when it comes to creating a response. Mm-hmm. For us, we don't think about it. <laughs> exactly. And as he gets older, the lessons have to become more and more complex because as mm-hmm. situations are more nuanced, as you get are older, an interaction may not be like superficially what it seems. Yeah. He then has to like the lessons get more, more intense. So in the tragedy, which I personally don't want to get into the tragedy. It's so gruesome. I don't really want to say what it was or what it, what happened, but you can read about it. But when the tragedy happens and granny's uh, like, you know, she's protecting him, protecting him. And it sort of says, she says like, get out or go away or something to him. She says something to him and he doesn't, he doesn't ever say what it is. Right. There's one thing that she says that he's, he's like, I don't know what, I didn't really hear it. And then he, he does say, oh, she says to like, stay inside or, or stay away or go something away, like get that. Away. Go yeah. away, get away. Cause later he... I'm convinced that she said, I love you. <gasps> I love that theory. I'm convinced that she said, I love you. And he just didn't like, it didn't register. He didn't catch it. And then she does say like, stay inside, like stay away. Well, in the second, cause there's two, tra- two big tragedies, uh, if you, as it were, or like two big incidents, I'll say it like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. in the second incident, he protects someone mm-hmm. and he says, get it, go. He kind of is like, get away or go away or something to them. And it's, it's something that he's like, he's remembering granny said to him too. When maybe it's not, I don't know if it's the thing that he couldn't remember originally, or if it's like a separate memory, but she's like, get away. And he's like, but get away something you say when you, when you don't like someone. So like, why are we saying it now? Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that's an example of like when a situation or something that the normal reaction is not what's happening. Cause something totally, totally out of the norm is happening anyway. And then people's reactions are a little bit different than what he has. Yeah. So I have that here, that scene that you're talking about for the second incident or tragedy, he's remembering that first tragedy. And she said, it says she screams from outside the window, go, go get out of the way. I'd learned the phrase usually meant I hate you. Like when Dora shouted, I'd gone get lost. So why, why was granny telling me to go? Yeah. Even in such a like hectic moment, of action. He's like still going through his logical steps of like, what's happening and how should I, but he also doesn't realize that she's like trying to protect him as well. Like there's the secure, he has no sense of self-security. Right. And no sense of self-preservation. Plus the tragedies that unfold. Well, the first one was so quick and that I'm not sure that anyone with normal sized amygdala (laughs) would fully process it either. Cause it was such a shocker, right? Like such a, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, just shock and he was too stunned to really know what was going on and to be confused. Like, what, what are you saying? Why are you like blocking the door? Like, you know, he, it makes sense because, you know, when you're seeing it from the outside or later, but it wouldn't necessarily in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. 
Okay. So then on to something a little more upbeat because I was depressing. Let's talk about these other characters. So we encounter Mr. Shim, who's the baker who used to be a surgeon. Um, he lives above the bookstore that uh, Yunjae and his mom owns. Mm-hmm, the used bookstore. The used bookstore, which, oh, by the way, as a book podcast, I love the book, the used bookstore. <laughs> Being <laughs> the scene, this, the place setting for so many things. But yeah. But I, I, I really thought it was interesting that this man, and we can don't we know. Pa- can yes. we pause? Because sure. I found so much meaning in the used bookstore. Oh, please. Because it's not trending content right it's not trending books it's not brand new books it's not the latest thing these are used books and so he has a repository of emotions that people have already gone through and thrown away right and he is constantly trying to parse out information trying to understand the authors and it's it's incredible that like it takes so long for him to grasp human emotion and what it means to be human what does it mean to be ordinary he's constantly asking questions of dr shim and he's reading incredible literature like shakespeare he's reading shakespeare and like talking about people throw around the word love all the time as like oh i love this food oh i love this and he's like love is such a grand concept like why do people throw around the word love like that so casually and nonchalantly? And I'm like, that is amazing. <laughs> like we should talk more about that, about how our language is so um, diluted after a while and how he is gaining the most purest form of these words and these concepts. And I think that's so romantic and, and poetic. And he's just like throwing out these ideas like, like it's a regular Tuesday, you know? <laughs> Well, I do think the books is probably what maybe helps him the most. They don't say so in the, in the book itself, but like mm. his exposure to these books, like you said, and how people language evolves over time and different, he has foreign books. He has, you know, Korean author written books. And so the different like cultural ways that people use language, and then it mm-hmm. has to get translated, of course, to Korean, I'm assuming. And he has all this access to the stuff. And I do think that's interesting that the used bookstores, most commonly best sold books are things like those test prep books. The test prep books. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause so many people do get rid of like heirlooms and, and things that are filled with emotions and someone's like most meaningful book to them gets tossed in this like used bookstore. One other interesting thing was a while back. I don't know how true this was. And I forget where I saw this, but I read, I think it was a travel book about Korea when I was visiting there. Mm-hmm. And they said that antique stores and vintage stores for like the older generation of Korean people. And again, caveat, that I don't know if this is true or what this is, but they find it very strange. The concept of like used goods, strange. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, why do you want someone else's like throw trash essentially? And, oh, but man. younger generation Koreans do find like, you know, antiquing or like thrift store stuff to be more trendy or interesting. So I am an avid thrifter. Okay. So this is fascinating to me <laughs> that like with the caveat of like, yes, there's obvious trash in thrift stores, but there's um, treasure among the trash and uh, it's like the thrill of the hunt for me. It's like, I have these, a list of things that I want (laughs) to find. And, you know, eventually I will find them in the thrift stores, but I feel like in Korean culture, through what I have experienced in media media entertainment, that they're so concerned with appearances Mm, and it seems like everyone is pretty vain to a certain extent. And so having something used is seen as lesser. Well, and I think that's related to their history because they came out of 
like the ashes, like Korea is like a phoenix. I feel like historically speaking, because they, they had <laughs> all this trauma, right. With like Japanese occupation, Korean yes. war and all this stuff that was set North Korea, you know, South Korea separation and all that. And then they became the most industrialized, like, you know, when you receive photos of Seoul and you just think the future, you think like, this is like cutting edge stuff. And to go from the, you know, in this, like there's people alive, like within a generation who remember kind of the more rural or like more kind of decimated Korea and who also live in the current Korea that exists. So I could see how an older person would be like, what are you doing with used junk? (laughs) You know, from a fundamental (laughs) practical standpoint, like why, why would you do like that? And then how younger generations come through and they're like, actually there's value to this. And they, see it in a different light. It's just perspective. Right. Mm, and so, mm. but despite, cause even in the book, like his m- grandma is like, why are we opening a used book? Like that? Yeah, she's like, what is this? <laughs> and then she's like, let's buy porn. That sells. <laughs> she's like, you should just buy porn because people that's, that's going to sell. <laughs> and yeah. that's also like so misguided because in the current time, like people <laughs> don't like buy porn and like use bookstores. <laughs> like what? It's like, very backward as well. It's a relic. And I think that he's basically grown up in the old ways where books have meaning Mm -hmm. and he's just trying to parse out the meaning of all of these books. And it's, it's, it's very, it's, I don't know. It feels warm when I think of the concept of that, you know? Yeah. When they talk about the smell, like even Dora, who we'll talk about later, she smell of the books and like, or even the fact that gone, who you would think would hate a used bookstore of all places. And he comes in all the time. It's so like comforting. Homey. Yeah. I love it. And then when they have to get rid of the bookstore, it's just like heartbreaking for everyone. Yeah. It's actually, um, now that you say like getting rid of the bookstore, that reminds me of something that I wanted to bring up was that at one point he and gone are having like this discussion about porn and like what, you know, what excites him about Brooke, she- Brooke Shields oh, yeah. when she was younger and stuff. And like, why did you show me pictures of Brooke Shields when she's older? Because uh, it just, Gon is like going through a little bit of a, a growth spurt here where he's saying like, I didn't want to look at pictures of her when she's old because it reminds me that nothing lasts. And, you know, beauty fades and things are fleeting. And so, and then he says at the end of his statement, like, oh, I don't really feel like looking at these uh, old porn magas- magazines anymore because mm. it's just it reminds me of all of this so like yeah. even these beautiful like you know women they're are dead dead or or old or whatever and so the transit what's the word trans transigency oh my god I, I know what you mean now I'm blinking too oh my god but the word is around there it starts with trans the you know fleetingness of life or whatever and I found that interesting that at the time you know, Yunjie doesn't re- kind of believe what he's saying, what Gon is, is working through until later on when he finds that the being in the bookstore without what gave it life, without transient. his transience, transience of life. So later, Yunjie decides to get rid of the bookstore and close it down because it's basically a grave for all of the happy memories that he has here with his mother and his grandmother. And even if he didn't quite say like, oh, it was happy time. He's like, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same effects that it had before. And that is a huge sense of like growth and mirroring what Gon already went through. And there's a lot of mirroring that happens throughout the book, which I find really impactful. Mirroring, yeah. Where he's like sensing 
someone else's feelings. He doesn't get the significance of it until later when he starts to go through the same exact thing. Right. I want to talk about grief in this book and how they, it's interesting because the grief is like so buried deep inside Yunjae after the first incident that occurs. Yes. And he can't bring it up. He can't bring it out. He, it's strange because he has this elixithemia, but he still has like the wherewithal to be like, I got to go visit my mom every single day in her long-term care. He's like, I don't know why, but I just, just visited her every day. Every single day. And then while he's there, he'll do things like, oh, her skin is dry. She needs lotion and like puts lotion on. But these are like super caring acts or like he holds her hands a lot. He kind of touches her face. And well, he puts himself in her position because he's like, her skin is very dry. She would have been very upset to see this, the condition that her skin is in now. So I put moisturizer on it. And he does, he says it very coldly. Right. Yeah. But to us, we're reading the care and the emotions in that simple act. But it makes me think of, so to go back to to Dr. Shim for a second. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about Dr. Uh, Shim. I cut you off before. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Dr. Shim at the end, I'm going to kind of jump around the book here at the end. He, he's the one who's like encouraging, like, let's get your brain rescanned and let's reevaluate your condition because maybe you can like improve. Maybe you have improved naturally Mm. after puberty. And he says like a thing that resonated with me, which is that doctors like to label people. Mm. And you've yes. been labeled this like, you know, he doesn't say it like this, but he's been labeled, you just been labeled an emotionless boy. He's incapable of emotion. He's incapable of this and that, but we, he has glimmers of moments of whether it's like conscious, subconscious, or like somewhere else in his, you know, psyche where he is caring, like whether or not he realizes it's caring to put apply lotion on someone who can't do it for themselves. That is care. Right. Mm-hmm. So he still manages to do that somehow. And Ms. Uh, Dr. Shim is the one who can tell or can see that he is, he's capable of growth. He's, he doesn't judge him. He's like, I, I don't want to judge you too much. I want to just let you do what you think you should do. And I'll help guide you a little bit, but he doesn't really put like the way, like Jian, the mom, like kind of imposed this normalcy that she wanted him to project onto Yoon Jae. Dr. Shim doesn't go there. He's like, mm. no, just be you. So what did you think of Dr. Shim and his devotion to both Jian and Yoon Jae both? So I found him really fascinating. And at first I I really gravitated toward his story of him being like a heart surgeon, being extremely busy, couldn't devote a lot of time to his wife. And then all of a sudden his wife, his wife dies of a heart related condition. Like she just keels over one day and it really scars him. He leaves the practice, leaves his, you know, being a surgeon and opens a bakery, which is, you hear about these stories all the time where it's like, I was a lawyer. And then all of a sudden this tragedy happened to me. And now I opened a food truck. It's just like, what? Like like this 180, right? So he has this, he does this 180. And even though he's like fairly successful in this like upstairs bakery, he doesn't do it for the money. He's doing it in honor of his wife because his wife often baked bread for him all the time. And he feels that he does it to be closer to her even after she's gone. And I feel like in Yunja keeping the used bookstore for however long, it was a way to keep them alive in his memory, in in his daily life. Like we own this bookstore together. We ran it together. I'm just going to do things the way that they were before. And he's kind of looking at it systematically, but they're coming at the same thing from two different sides. Totally. And I love how when Dr. Shim is like, why don't you go like visit your mom and talk to her about, oh, you're going into high school now, like changes are happening. Why don't you tell her about this? She'd love to know. And at first, 
he's like, why would I do that? She can't listen to me. And he never opens up to his mother while she's in a coma and he never talks to her out loud. And that's something that they tell you all the time. Cause I've had family members in comas and they're like, just talk to them. They can hear you. Studies have shown they can hear you. Blah, blah, blah. He never talks to her until Dora comes and talks to his mom. Right. And that's when he's like, okay, like what's the harm? And he starts talking and it's, therapeutic for him. Like, not only is he not thinking about it from, well, she can't hear me. There's no sense in me. There's no reason for me to talk to my mom while she's in a coma. He realizes that it's very helpful for him and his mental health and to just kind of be open to his mother in the way that he used to. And he, again, he's coming at this idea that Dr. Shim gave him earlier from a different angle. And it's very interesting to me to see how he's growing in ways that Dr. Shim predicted or has already grown in that direction. I like that Dr. Shim doesn't push him either to grow Mm. or do anything. He's just Mm. like, when you're ready, when it's time, you will do what you need to do. Absolutely. I think that first of all, the bakery seems like a very comforting place as well, because you think about the smells that his, his wife would greet him with like freshly baked bread. So the Mm. smell of that and the time it takes the, like actually getting your hands, I don't know that they were hand you know, needing go, but you know what right. I mean? Like whatever it is, it's like a hands-on experience regardless. And all of that, it's sort of like, and everything Dr. Shim does is very warm and comforting now. Like he always yes. turns into udon noodles, right? And yeah. Everything is like soup. a comfort food because noodles are kind of a comfort food. And that's, he's like, I don't know why, but he always wants noodles. He always yeah. eats his noodles with me. <laughs> right. Noodles are bread. That's all we ever eat. And then, true. <laughs> and then I think the fact that Dr. Shim does bring it up early on that, Hey, you should talk to your mom. And then he just doesn't, and he doesn't push him to it's because I, I think Yunjae wasn't there yet mentally mm, to be exactly. able to talk to his mom. Dora, because he admires Dora so much, because she's so open and like, kind of like, well, whatever, like, why not? Like, why wouldn't I do this? And he starts to see that because he admires her. Not that he doesn't admire Dr. Shim, but it's like a different admiration. Mm-hmm. He's more ready because he's been, his heart has been opened up to, his heart could have like closed right up. But I think Dr. Shim gone, Dora, like all these experiences and people he's met mean so much to him. and allow him to open up his heart and allows him to speak to his mom while she's in her coma. Mm-hmm. So I loved that aspect of it. Let's talk about gone. Okay. <laughs> First of all, I need to recap a little of gone story because it was so much. So just imagine this like two, three-year-old little boy out at the amusement park with their parents, just mom, I believe. And then she like looks at the phone because someone's like from work or whatever. Takes a work call. Yeah. And it's similar to Dr. Shim in that she was very, very busy and dedicated to her job and was actually out with him. She took like this one day off to take her son out because she's like feeling like a neglectful parent. And then the day that happens, she takes the one work call that's very urgent and somehow gone gets lost and separates from her and they never find him for 13 years. And he goes through this tumultuous, like he goes to, he randomly is with this Chinese elderly couple that are, this elderly couple takes him in and they're undocumented yeah. and there's a raid yeah. and the couple leave and they leave him. Then he gets in foster care and the system going back and forth, being bullied. And he was also bull- adopted by a, a couple who then had yes. their own biological child and then give him back up for adoption. What? Oh my God. And then he was in juvenile detention. Yes. He got in trouble. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So he's been through it. And I actually think like, and gone is like, he says in the book, you just says in the book, like you have lots of emotion. You're, you could be like a poet or artist or something. Like he's like, you're filled to the brim with emotion and gone is he's so 
emotional, but he wants to be a bit more like Yunjae. He thinks that's strength. He's like, I want to be hard. I want to be cold. I don't want to care. And I think that's kind of, they don't, again, spell this out, but I kind of think that's what magnetizes him a little bit too. And the fact that Yunjae doesn't judge Gon. Yunjae is mm-hmm. one of the people who's not like, oh, you're like a. You don't judge me like anybody else. Right. Yeah. Right. right. What else did you think about Gon? Uh, I think Gon is so, such a sad character and so misguided because he finds strength in kind of like the worst traits, which are being emotionless or being physically overpowering over people. And it's just like a poster child for like the nature versus versus nurture kind of situation, because had he stayed with his family and not been lost to the system, he probably would have been totally fine, <laughs> like well-adjusted and all this stuff. But he is a bully. He lashes out because he feels misunderstood. People don't listen to him. People don't trust him. And it takes a toll on him, even though he doesn't want people to see that it does. At one point in the book, he says, well, everyone thinks I'm like this loser or not. That's not the word, but you know what I mean? Like this kind of low life. Yeah. That I'm a criminal. Yeah. I may as well just be that. I may as well live up to that reputation. And it's so sad. And I think because the author mentions in the end of the book that, that she was inspired to write these characters when she had her baby, her first mm. child. And this baby's just like this blank slate almost of like, could be anything. Like, you don't know if a baby's going to grow up to become like this, you know, menace to society, <laughs> or if they're going to grow up to be this like other, like, you know, high status person mm-hmm. in society. You don't know that. And she thinks that it's really how much love you get and don't get. Gone has this capability of emotion. It received next to no love. Even when he's reunited with his dad, it's like such an awkward relationship. That was the worst part about it for oh me, my gosh, was me the relationship that he had with his dad once they were reunited because the dad, what's his name? Dr. Yun? Yun. Yeah. Dr. Yun is a very prideful man concerned with the typical, like what people think about me, what people think of my reputation. And when he finds his son, it's not this grand reunion that you expect where he's super emotional, wants to be with him all the time and learn what happened to him and just be so supportive in that situation. He's upset that Gon didn't turn out the way he wanted him to and doesn't care to learn about what happened to him in all those intervening years. And that is brutal to me. Like that would break me in half, even if I had a wonderful time in, in, foster care or whatever it was. And that my adoptee parents never gave me up after they had their own kid and stuff. If I was reunited with my biological father and he wants nothing to do with me because I don't live up to his expectations, I would be devastated. And the fact that not only do you not live up to it, but that's the main thing he cares about. That's like, you said, the only main thing he cares is like, are you living? Are you the the type of son that I should have, or that you should have been like, that's where his focus is not like what happened to you. Like you said, it's not like what's wrong with you now. Let's sort like help get you like any attention that you need. Yes, exactly. It's just like, why are you, why can't you just be sort of similar in a way to you and Jay's mom, but totally different. Why can't you be normal? Yeah. Why can't you be like everyone else? Yeah. And it's so, I think both characters, Yunjae and Gon want to be seen and they are not well seen even by their, like people are supposed to see them the most, your your own Mm. parents. And then they see each other. And I think that's why their friendship kind of works out. So emotional right now. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about the bullying in this story and what you thought about the bullying. 
Okay. So I feel bad in saying this, but the bullying did not quite phase me in the way that I, that I was like when I showed up and I saw the notes and it said bullying, I was like, oh, right. Bullying. You know what I'm saying? Like it did not register to me that that should have been alarming. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the bullying? Do you think the writing of the bullying was not impactful or like, well, I think it just was a symptom that something else was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like Gon is going through so many changes and it's kind of (laughs) like, this is a terrible analogy, but people give more, you know, uh, credit or they're more careful when introducing like pets to each other for the first time. Then they are here in the situation where Gon has gone through so much flux in his life and has had so much negativity and been through the system, every system, like the judicial system and, uh, you know, the foster care, foster care system. And now he's just expected to be perfectly fine and well adjusted. And there was no like, well, let's stick like, you know, the little fish bag in the tank first a little bit to get him acclimated to this new life. Like there was no like system in place for him to get used to this new life. And of course, like we just talked about Dr. Yun being a terrible parent, (laughs) but um, I think that he just was never equipped either with that, with ways to cope with his life and to fit in or, or not even just fit in, but like, be adjusted. And the bullying was just like, okay, of course he's going to bully like other kids. Like it just didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have any like concrete thoughts about it, but I I was going to say, I loved your analogies, both, both the fish bag, goldfish bag and the, um, and introducing pets for the first time. Yeah. Because even though this book is about Korean and Korea and Korean society a little bit, we talked about how like Korean society, you have to kind of conform conform. Yeah, that's the word. And so, but I think in most societies, there's this expectation. We don't have a lot of leeway, or at least Western society doesn't either for you went through a thing, (laughs) like something happened. Yeah. You just have to be normal. Like if you're not normal, you it's like sink or swim, you're not going to make it. So this emphasis on being normal, no matter what, and not everyone has random things they came from or different experiences. And some people have different degrees of severity than others, but we don't ever account for that here either. It's just, you have to be quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. And for Gon, I think it was a matter of establishing dominance. It's because for him, it's like either I show up and act like a quote unquote psycho as some of them were calling him anyway, Yeah, based on what happened to me. And I live out that expectation that already pre-exists, pre-exists or I establish this dominance, make everyone afraid of me. So then they just leave me the hell alone. And at right. first he chooses that second one where he's like, I'm going to like start bullying everyone and pick a fight and do whatever. Meet me outside. Yeah, meet <laughs> me then, outside. <laughs> and people Stop, will. There's that old song like "Meet me at the club, slow down, <laughs> maybe in the mall." Like he's literally he is. instigating. He is instigating, and yeah. for him, I think it's to establish dominance and to establish this like "stay the hell away from me, don't mess with me," so he can process whatever he has to process. And he is thrown in this new situation. He said in the book he was at first sent to like a really fancy school in Gangnam or somewhere. Gangnam, yeah. He sent it to a school in Gangnam, which like yeah. makes zero sense. Like you're thinking about it and you're like, why would he ever think to send him to like the school? Because fancy he's so school? focused on status, like you said. Like his, he's an asshole. <laughs> Professor Yoon is like, 
just live up to your status as like this Richie Rich, son of a professor, or whatever yeah. it is. You know, like that's what you need to be. And so you go to the school in Cognum immediately. And that is not, like you said, you have to give him time to like acclimate and to adjust. And he was probably not even going to like regular school back when he was in juvenile detention. So yeah. the expectations placed on him immediately was so brutal. And so he's like, all right, first I'm going to, you know, act like a certain way. So everyone leaves me alone and I can deal with like acclimating myself. Then he gets, starts to feel so defeated. And this is really sad for, I thought like heartbreaking really where he, he lost, withdraws. he withdraws. He's like, I'm going to sink into like going with falling with a bad crowd. And that's what strength is. It's like when people just don't mess with you and they're afraid of you. And to him, like you said earlier, that is strength. And that is the ideal way to be and live your life. Yeah. I have a quote here. He says, I like to win. If I can't protect myself from being hurt, I'd rather hurt other people. That's just heartbreaking, <laughs> but it goes to what the author was trying to demonstrate in her writing, which is like, if you love, and I think love would in- entail like considering someone's situation, their emotions, their, mm. their like sudden displacement or whatever, he's been displaced so many times and that takes a toll and that's love too. And his father just is not on that level at all, you know, for better, or for worse, if you want to judge. And then it. he lays hands on him too. I know. You know, because he's like that. I'm gonna. This is how I straighten him out, quote unquote. And he like feels bad about it, but he's just very incapable. He is not equipped with like how do I deal with this? No one thinks to take him to like psychiatry or take like himself to psychiatry. Like the father could go to like counseling maybe or some just to or meet with someone who has like a clue about how to deal with the situation. It doesn't seem like they did. Did you? Also, I will say that there is no form of help that the school provides as well. No. And I would say the, co- the Korean education system is not well equipped to handle outliers like right. Kong right. or even Yunje. Yeah. You know, I read once uh, when in reading about school bullies, something about in Korea that teachers like in America, there's a lot of like mediation and like all this other stuff. And there's like guidance counselors or whatever. There's a little bit of something that they try to do, whether or not that's successful, I don't really know, but true, <laughs> but in Korea, they don't have that at all, mm. like on any level. And like, if stuff is going down, teachers like know about it, but they don't like intervene or they don't like try to yeah. stop it or they sweep it under the rug. They actively try and hide it. Yeah. It's very sad. Right. And I don't know. And, and I did just recently an episode where I talk about corporal punishment in Korea, which in schools was only outlawed in Korea in like 2010. And then for, there was like some code in the some government law stuff in, in Korea that said that you can, anyone can corporally punish like any child, I believe even though. So it's, it's like interesting because doctor or professor Yoon is like, doesn't want to, you know, physically just against his morals. It's principles to hit a child. And so he finds himself in this position. Yeah. It like hurts him, his own pride to (laughs) beat his child and he's still doing it. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. It like both works. If you want to look at this side and don't beat your child, nobody beat your child, but it's like both works and doesn't work in the sense. Like, you know, gone is a little less like hectic around his dad after the first time. I think that happens. Mm. And like, like, you know, he, he more or less like wait, finds a way to coexist with his father who sort of stops paying attention to him. You know, he's like closer to the maid or whoever lives in their house or works in their house than he is with his own father. Yeah, I think there's a way that the that Dr. Yun looks at his son and it's that he's basically like a wild animal and he's got to tame him. Yeah, he's or break feral. him. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's feral and I have to like break him. And that's the way that he approaches the relationship instead of he's human. 
he's hurt. Let's deal with it. And I find it interesting that even though, uh, like, especially because in Korean society, you notice a lot of apologies, like, you know, Yoon Jae's mom is like, thank you for being born. That's like, I think of common Korean saying when on people's birthdays, or yes. like, sorry for something, like somehow if I've like, you know, let you down like that, those two words, thank you. And sorry, thank you. Sorry. Comes up a lot, but at no point do we, are we aware of the fact that professor Yoon has apologized? Not that like, mm. you know, they didn't intentionally lose gone at the amusement park, but he was right. lost. There's no, like, I'm sorry, this happened to you. I'm sorry. Like not that he it's like taking fault. True. And I also talking about the amusement park loss. Um, he blamed his wife for losing their son. Yeah. And the author and not the author, Yunje, uh, writes that he blamed his wife and that he never like divorced her or, you know, separated from her because he's a lonely man. Right. He's like, well, I don't want to lose my son and my wife. Yeah. I don't want to lose my son and my wife. Like we'll just stick together. And that's an awful thing to do. <laughs> like that's, I mean, even though it's definitely awful, it seems realistic to me. I could see someone doing that. But he's so insecure that he cannot and prideful that he won't stand to lose both. And the fact that he's like, it's your fault. You lost our kid. Like she did it. She was like, it, it takes one second. Like how many like yeah. missing children's things that you see where it's like, it takes just one second. It takes for one second to, for you to yeah. lose sight of the kid. And we and don't then, even know what happened to him. Like maybe someone took him maybe away. Maybe he was abducted. Maybe it was right. like more, more of a thing than just like he wandered off, you know? Right. right. And he's so little. Like he doesn't even remember. He's, yeah. He doesn't even remember when it happened. He what didn't even know his exactly? name when the Chinese couple takes him and he yes. didn't know his given name. He gave himself the name gone. Because his what well, his parents' name was Isu, but he yeah. doesn't even know what his name is. So yeah, he fashioned a name for yeah. himself after being yeah, called he had so a many Chinese things. name. Yeah, and then he had another. Yeah, he had a, the adoptive parents gave him a name. The Chinese couple gave him a Chinese name, and then he's like, "Whatever, I'm going back." <laughs> this guy went through so much, so much. <laughs> but I think that scene with the butterfly in the bookstore is where you realize. Oh that- God, do we have to talk about this? No, scene? we're not going to talk about the scene. Okay. I don't want to talk about it, but by just saying, I'm, I'm just referencing the scene in the sense that I think for me, that's where I realized like gone, not that I didn't think he wasn't human, but like this put it into perspective, like gone has like deeply empathetic, yeah, deeply empathetic guy, like super gone through all these things, has emotions, feels things. He's not, does not feel pleasure in hurting others. He doesn't. He's and not that cruel guy. He wants to be and he's right. Like, yes, exactly. And that's what we gain from that. Um, the butterfly scene. Yes. What do you think of Professor Yoon's scene? Uh, I mean, idea, Professor Yoon's idea to introduce someone else as his son because his son wasn't good enough. That awful. Was, oh my God. Should have never crossed his mind. Why would you do that? Like, he's like, she needs to leave peacefully. Like, if she meets this guy, like, I, I'm, thinking, I'm assuming that was his thought process. Like, if she meets her delinquent, rough and tumble, kind of dirty, probably unhoused whatever his situation is at that point son right i'll just like kill her in a different way it'll so kill her like she's already dying yeah it, it, uh, yeah he wanted to spare her something some some sort well, of then just um, don't introduce her at all like if you don't if that's introduce the kid yeah a random kid that you saw thinking yeah. he's gone which he was until like three days before he decides to introduce you because not only did it hurt i, I think him like Yunje, but it hurt more importantly his own son. Mm-hmm. That fractured their relationship even more. Mm-hmm. 
was knowing that he'd rather have some, he's replaceable. He can, he would rather have some rando off the street, come be his son for an evening and, uh, you know, give a proper farewell to his wife, than the real son. Even the fact that Yunje, like who met this lady for five seconds and then she passed away a few days later, Yunje, just to go back to his like emotionless status or whatever, his elixithemia, he has the wherewithal to go to the funeral, which mm-hmm. I found. He's surprising. like, I don't know why, but I, ha- I felt like I had to stay at the funeral too. Mm-hmm. And then he, that's how he realized who gone was. Otherwise he might not have even really quite realized, mm-hmm. you know, made the connection. What, uh, should we say anything about Dora? Dora? Hmm. I just think she when she comes in it's kind of funny because he can't focus on anything but describing her dora opens his eyes to well he's going through puberty anyway so like he was gonna probably true but she does come up with um he asked her like why do you run like what's the purpose of running and she's like does there have to be a purpose to run? i just like it like what of it and she blows up in his face a little bit about trying to find some deeper meaning or purpose for things that happen in life and like for life itself like does my life need to be like this have a a reason you know we just live because we live and i run because i run i think for him he has been so conditioned to make a logical connection to everything so every every like action has an equal and opposite reaction type of thing Mm -hmm. he's so ingrained with that because of his mom's training when he asks Dora to him, it's a more innocent question. Then she takes it because everyone else is like, why do you run so much? You're like, that's weird. And he's not saying it like that. He's just like, so what's why do you the run? reason? Yeah. Why what's do you up? Run? Yeah. yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? So she like freaks out. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but it just, he, that is probably, I do think Dora helps him to realize like, you don't need to have like a logical step to every single thing. And also the like legitimate physical reactions that he has to her are quite entertaining to read where he's like I felt a chill up my spine I looked out and there she was <laughs> it's just like he gets physically ill at one yeah, point he he's like physically ill over he's like, like his catching a cold and and Dr. Shim's yeah. <laughs> like you got a crush bruh <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels like when you have a crush yeah. he's like what I'm sick I took cold medicine <laughs> he's like I need to lay down I need to lay down this is too much and then I love when he's like I'm explaining all my symptoms and what happened in the whole story and it makes no logical sense like there's no sense this story is actually pretty boring and it's like yeah that's <laughs> that sounds about right there's no rhyme or reason for, there's no rhyme or reason for, for that i like how the author gives you these glimmers of like humanity in yunjae so you as the reader are not also just considering him to be this robot i think yes. like the danger of writing a character like this is to and also like you said the translator did a great job of conveying it in english it's to make sure that we don't perceive him as a robot the way everyone else does that we perceive these little glimmers up until the, where he starts to have real breakthroughs in his ability to convey and feel emotion mm-hmm. where it's like, he had this, he, just cause he has smaller amygdala doesn't mean he doesn't have any amygdala whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Or like, just because he has a little bit of a different vibe going on with him. Doesn't mean he's not human like everybody else and nature versus nurture, which you mentioned earlier was such a, is so like the theme, I think of this book, because if you compare Gon to Yunje and even Dora, like Dora's just so operates on her own. Like she's not yeah. here to please anyone. It reminded me a little bit of, uh, the character from 2521, which I didn't watch, but go on. Oh God. Okay. Well, Kim Teddy's character from 2521 is very much like marches to the beat of her own drum. She was at a school that you know, her uh, fencing team got got 
canceled or whatever, and she had to switch schools. And it was very much the same kind of vibe as Dora, who marches to the beat of her own drum, doesn't care that her school doesn't have a track team, switches, ends up switching to another school that does have a track team and being successful in that passion that she has. And it doesn't let, she doesn't let anything stop her, even her parents being disapproving of it. Very similar characterization between the two. And Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to (laughs) say, I was going to say, I like that these things, all these things show so many Korean media or art shows like the restrictions of Korean society. And I think Mm. it applied to many other societies. So not just calling out Korea, but they show all these expectations and you have to fall in line. You have to conform. You have to do this. You have to do well in your exams. You have to get the best, biggest job at Samsung or wherever. (laughs) And (laughs) Um, and these, there's so much art that's like, goes against the grain. Like you don't have to do that stuff. And I, I, I wonder like, you know, obviously not being someone who's Korean, like do people find they must, this book was like a million seller, but the like comfort you find in like these, the people who are not just doing the expected thing, who are doing something different, who are living lives on their own terms. And I think that's a lesson for everybody. Like I said, not just Korea, but there's so much art like this. There's an appeal to this kind of character in this kind of story because it's so rare for their society to accept that in real life. Do you think it's going to change because we have so much art, but yet it hasn't seemingly changed much yet? Or I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And mostly because you mentioned bullying before and bullying is so pervasive over there in a way that we, we don't realize here in the West, of course we have bullying, but it's just not on a completely different level over there in, in Korea. And how many countless K-dramas and webtoons and books and stuff cover an intense bullying storyline and nothing has really changed over there. It's still the same. It's not like um, I want to equate it to maybe like the Me Too movement over here in the West, where I do feel like there is a marked change in a lot of the thinking and a lot of the media is presenting that differently. These kinds of storylines of sexual assault or sexual harassment in different spheres. It's getting, I think, marginally better over here in the West. But in Korea, I don't see any different. Like the kids are still whack. Like, you know what I'm well, saying? It's not just kids either. Cause in workplaces, think of like workplace dramas where it's yes. a saying or something like where you um, can get harassed fully at work and there's not really any repercussions. Something in the rain has that very heavy storyline of workplace sexual harassment as well. Yeah. Like bullying just happens to everyone everywhere. <laughs> I feel like I don't yeah, know. Like everyone's like in danger. And um, in prepping for this you know, podcast, you had me listen to a, a great episode from Dramas Over Flowers. That's another um, podcast. And they were covering bullying over there. And they threw out a statistic that said like one in three kids experiences bullying in Korea. And I'm like, that is a nutso statistic. Right. I cannot believe that one in three kids. And it's, it, of course, it carries into their adult life. Of course, it does. Yeah. Of course, you get you get K dramas like DP, which is bullying in the military. One when, yes. when guys are on their military uh, enlistment leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. Craziness. Yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate aspect of society everywhere that has bullying, which is everywhere in Korea. They have those scandals, right, with the actors or the celebrities, the Hollywood stars that have a bullying scandal. Mm-hmm. And there's so many that what's the word I'm trying to look for? It's stunning mm. to me. It's definitely striking for sure. And how commonplace it is. That's so many people experience it. Some people are perpetrators of it. And then for us as like fans of 
we get it in the media. Yeah, you know, we get yeah. it. So you have like boys over flowers with like all the bullying that have has in that classic K drama. You have recent ones like True Beauty and My Idea is Kangnam Beauty. All of us are dead has a major, you know, bullying plot line in it. Revenge Note, which is like a lesser known, uh, you know, K-drama has a lot of bullying in it. And it's kind of dealt with in ways outside of society changing. I think about it in terms of like the Chebol having all this power and like stepping on the little guy. Mm. There's a lot mm. of dramas like that too. Like Ether One Class, which has bullying and that storyline of like the, you know, the conglomerate or the bigger man in the hierarchy stepping on the lower person on the totem pole yeah and yet like i know there are a lot of labor movements like squid game they were doing when squid game came out they made like squid game protests where people dressed like the the contestants in squid game and Hmm. i don't know like what really comes out of that if anything but i I mean it, it definitely resonates with people who live in korea and korean society but then what actually happens i don't know in terms of like the the book Almond, I kind of feel like it does a disservice because it's very stereotypical that, you know, hurt people hurt other people. And in Gong's case, that was exactly what he was doing. He was mistreated his whole life. And so he mistreated others and was a bully. I don't feel that every bully comes from like a broken household, a terrible backstory like Gong's at all. I feel like it is you know, pervasive because of what, how their society is, is formed. I think the, which I think one way this didn't fall into the stereotype is because Gon didn't want to, he tried to sort of in his own way though, like he tried not to be a bully at first, sort of, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like he kind of tried not to in his own weird way, but he like still had to lash out and act up because he didn't know how else to be. But then like, because I just say that because of the change that happens kind of halfway through the book or three fourths of the way of the book where he's like, okay, well now I am a bully. And he like, is has like the idea of it's like rolling around in his mind where he's like, should I just be like one of those like hard ass people? Yeah. Who, should I change or should I stay the same? Yeah. And, or should I like, you know, kind of be vulnerable to my emotions or not? Because it hasn't served him to be like, no one cares about him. And he kind right. of despairs and goes into this in from despair. Cause I think the difference between him and steel wire, steel wire, we don't know his background. Let's talk really. about steel wire. So <laughs> I think this is kind of funny. Personally, I think it's a little bit funny that he's like, oh, yeah, Steel Wire is so cool. Then he's like with Steel Wire in the finale, like the climax of the book, so to speak. And he's terrified of Steel Wire. And he wants to, you know, impact people in the same way, have people fear him versus love him. But that's why I think Gone isn't ultimately the stereotype. You could argue this. I mean, I don't disagree with what you said, because he's like a hurt person who tries to hurt people. But he's not in that stereotype. He doesn't succeed. He does. He does it because he's like, ultimately, that's not who he is. He's not Steelwire. Steelwire was like smiling through his sentencing. Steelwire took pleasure. Yeah. He did. In hurting care. other people. He was sadistic and he liked being that way. Yeah. And Gone isn't like that. It's like, a, it's like different degrees of everything and like different mm-hmm. reasons why different motivations there. And Gone ultimately can't be Steelwire. He just can't be Steelwire. But then like, mm-hmm. and then at the end, he's like too, um, not embarrassed, but like, hu- like humiliated or he feels too bad to guilty. face guilty to face Yunje, you know, when Yunjae's recovering. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he just has that letter that's like, uh, thank sorry, you, thank you. Sorry, thank, thank you, you. Sorry, truly. <laughs> that's all you say to everyone ever uh, for every occasion, I think. <laughs> no, I'm but it's it's just but I think every every Hallmark card in Korea is just like, <laughs> thank you. Sorry, truly. 
but it does kind of, I mean, we're being facetious, but I think it does convey a lot of different, uh, emotions within like simple words and they just don't, they're not so verbose maybe about it every time, but like, Mm. you can just say those things that has so much more meaning. And I think to go back to training Yunje to understand like how to react and when to say those words, you can't just do that because there's layers upon layers upon layers of meanings between behind the way they use thank you and sorry. True. You know, but anyway, so what did you think about <laughs> this is where I was like, this is such a K-drama moment when his mom recovers. <laughs> oh man. So I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> I was like, so he's in the hospital. He's recovering from the second tragedy. He gets beats, beat to a pulp, almost dies. Oh, and he gets stabbed like in the chest too. Like this, this whole thing. And the mom wakes up during his recovery. And I was like, you're joking. Like she wakes you're up a little jo- bit before like her eyes open, but she's still kind of quote unquote. She's comatose still. Oh, yeah. And then she, now she's like walking. Oh, but no, she's in a wheelchair. She, but she's, she's like hugging him. Yeah. She's like talking, I think, or she's normal, like no brain damage whatsoever for her. It's interesting because I was like, did she research this aspect of, she seems to research alexithemia, amygdala and all this other junk, like so much. And like that, that there's like a serial, there's like a serial killer's book that like uh, Yoon Jae says, or not serial killer, a man yes. like, but that's not even a real person. She says that in a note in the beginning of the book where this person's like fictional, but there's an American killer who killed his stepdaughter or somebody. And he wrote a book or gave an interview and then they execute, the state executes him. You find out he didn't even, he wasn't even, the he one didn't even do it. Stepped, right. Yeah. He was a terrible person, a rapist yeah. and, a, and a murderer, but he didn't do those two murders right. or something like that yeah. that he was executed Which, for. But he like also kind of fantasized about killing people. Like he wrote like diaries or he like talked. Yeah. About it was it. like all detailed and people banned the book or whatever. And I guess I didn't know this, but I get, and I never looked it up, but it's fake. It's like, fake. Okay. Okay. Um, Cause she says it in the beginning and like the, in the beginning of the book, there's like a note about like, this is a fictional person, not a real person, oh, gotcha. but it, but it's so realistic. Cause so she obviously researched people like this or research case, she, uh, researching American crime, by the way, what a, what a sad state of affairs to be like, cause at one well, point, yeah, <laughs> at one well, point if we're going to jump to American crime. I'm leaving. I'm leaving right no, now. No, Cause at one point steel wires, like we should legalize guns too. That'd we should great. legalize guns like they do in America and Norway. And I was like, Oh Lord, uh, do I have to just... <laughs> But yeah, so the, this story is like a fictional American story that is a book that exists in the bookstore where a fictional, this is not a real thing, but this fictional American man killed his stepdaughter, maybe someone else. Um, and, and he had all this evidence that they used to like convict him for these murders where the evidence being like these journals where he wrote like really gruesomely about like fantasizing about killing people or torturing them or whatever. And then they execute him. And so he dies. But then after the execution, they find out someone else has killed these. Okay. So I, the way that I saw that was, it was a prelude or uh, uh, not a premonition, but like, um, what's it called? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Thank you. Foreshadowing of what happens to Gon later when they accuse him of stealing the like school money, snack money or whatever for the field trip. And he's like, I didn't do it. I could have done it. In the past, I've probably done it, but I didn't do it this time. And they fully indicted him mm-hmm. for the theft. And he gets, uh, you that's know, that's what rail- drives him to steal wire. That's what drives him to steal wire. So it's kind of like the same story in that they didn't believe him because it was like a boy who cried wolf sort of sort of deal where there's smoke, there's fire sort of deal. And other than that, I didn't want to dwell too much on that, like fake story no. <laughs> that she put in there of like the rapist and like yeah, yeah. detailed all his crimes even though he didn't do the one that he I don't want to dwell on it but I do find it interesting that she researched this like to oblivion but then the mom True. makes a miraculous then the mom recovery. makes a miraculous <laughs> recovery after more than like 10 months 
in a coma and you're just like, okay. And no, no residual effects. You know, it was a traumatic no brain injury. Like why? He's fine. This yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have to get into fan castings. We're running out of time. Okay. Fan cast. If we, if this book were to be made into a drama or a movie, who would you have play Yunde? And I already know because you made amazing graphics. I, yes. So I picked Do Kyung So, which is Dio from EXO. Yes, done- me too. You did too. <laughs> I'm so excited that you chose the same guy. I think he's great with um, not only having a range of emotions, but also being very stoic and hard faced. And I think the kind of the best project that he's done to kind of sell him on this casting would be 100 days my prince Mm, where he is like very not emotional throughout the most of it and i I think think he's weird people think he's weird he does have the vibe (laughs) i think he has the right vibe so yeah dio okay and then for gone you've cast okay I've casted Kim Young-soo and he's part of Infinite. He's done like Angel's Last Mission, Meow the Secret Boy, Miss Hammurabi one more time, uh, Ruler, Master of the Mask. He's done a lot of acting and I feel like he can play crazy really well. Mm. And I think that he can match the intensity of Kon. So I think, caveat to all of my castings, everyone's too old to, oh, yeah. to play these fan- students. That's why it's fantasy casting. <laughs> Uh, and it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, I saw this an appropriately aged actor in this one side ca- character yeah. role. And I think they'd be good. So I'm choosing people that, well, I know that they can do it. It's just that they're slightly too old. If you th- speaking of too old, I picked Kim Woobin, like oh. if he like 100 years ago when he was this age. 15 okay. years ago. Yeah. If, Kim Woobin to play Gone because I think he has uh, he plays bad boy well like when he was younger and like airs and stuff are like yeah and control would be fine he was like an ass a bit yeah exactly smirky he's really good at being smirky and like yeah but anyway so okay so continuing on your your wonderful I also want to say that I was choosing people based on the descriptions of the characters so yeah Gone had like uh dimples like which masked his mom's dimples so I was like okay well this guy from Infinite has dimples and he looks kind of, uh, you know, uh, skinny. And But yeah, I think he could pass off as like this kid who was abandoned and all this stuff. Okay, good point. How about for Yunjae's mom? I have two choices here. I couldn't decide between them. One is Jiana Jun, which is, of course, a female lead from My Love from Another Star. She's the appropriate age, probably a little young on the younger side. I think she's 40. Maybe? I think she's no. 40. Yeah, I think she's 40. She's stunning. And the whole thing with Yunjae's mom is that she was beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And she had um, just a lot of difficulties in life. But he kept mentioning how she was so beautiful. So I think she could do it really well. And also, I have casted El, yeah. who was most recently in My Liberation Notes, and she's the lady in red from Goblin. Goblin. Yeah. So I think both of them would do an excellent job of playing Yunjae's mom. I think El has also this defiance. Um, mm that would be great for, you know, someone who went against the grain of what her mom wanted, married yeah. this like guy that everyone thought was like a loser. Um, but <laughs> she could, I could like, if she's playing that. I can see her like looking really dejected and it's like bags under her eyes in the McDonald's, you know? Yes, yes, yes. And crying and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about for Dr. Shim? I, I agreed with you on this one. This is my only casting for him. It's Kim Won-hae yeah. from 
countless K dramas, yeah. but I think people m- most know him from Strong Girl Da Bong Soon. Yeah. Um, he plays like the do two parts. One is the like uh, office worker who's like very femme and flamboyant. definitely gay, flamboyant. Yeah. <laughs> and then he also plays the gangster in that same uh, show. So he's wonderful. I think Icon. that he would make such a good Dr. Shin because there's such a, when he plays a serious role, I think there's such a sadness about him. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing he, like, I think he gets wise detectives and stuff like, because he's got this, like, yeah, mm. he's, he's analytical. He's knowing he's like calculating out in a bad way. Yeah. I can see him as like a reform, a previous heart surgeon now bre- baking bread, like on the second floor of a ratty building. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. How about for granny? I didn't really cast. I didn't get to the point of casting her, but you, Okay, I casted Kodushim and she has been granny in like so many <laughs> so many K-dramas. I love to call back to her character from When the Camellia Blooms. She played Kang Hanul's uh, mom in that. Yeah. yeah. She has such a strength and fierceness strength. about Another her. Another defiant person too. Like defiant person. I see her already as uh, granny. Yeah, sassy. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Yoon, I found this choice interesting that you picked. So this is a toss-up between these two actors. I think it's either Choi Moo-sung or Jung Hae-kyun. And they're both from Reply, the Reply series. Um, and if you see them, you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's those guys, those other yeah. They're wonderful. And I think they're, they're both can play light, but they both can play extremely dark characters as well. And I think there has to be something very intimidating about Dr. Yun. Yes commanding commanding and you can see him like slapping a kid in the pizzeria <laughs> which is what happens in the book <laughs> I, I think on these two choices i think jong Hyun, i would think a little more mm, within the role than yeah someone very prideful but can play you know he's an intelligent professor so yeah i think either one of them could do it so you pick jong Hyun. yeah over, yeah if i had to cast do the casting Okay. okay, and then for Dora and Steelwire. These were a lot of fun to put together. <laughs> so for Dora, I picked Pak Ji Hu, who is in All of Us Are Dead. And she is the um, emergency worker's daughter, if that makes any sense. So she's kind of main cast. She did very well in that. She's constantly running around in that too. And I just kind of believe that she could be this spunky a girl going against green she can be friends with everybody like that's kind of how she was in all of us are dead she fits in with everybody and that's how he describes her in the book as dora like not being bullied blends in with everybody gets along with everybody no issues and i can see her with the short hair you know flying in the wind (laughs) i was thinking of when i read the book was speaking of the reply series was uh carrie uh-huh i think yes but she's Maybe not as good as Dora. <laughs> or I mean, I it's part, think, part two. Uh, Park Ji is um, the correct age, I think, to play the role. Yeah. Uh, Hyeri is a little older now. Definitely. I mean, they're all. I was, try- I I was trying to pick people that were around the same ages. Obviously, I totally failed with um, Yunjis and uh, Gon's casting, but that's fine. I think Hyeri would I, be fine. Envisioned. Like, I don't mm. know if she would necessarily be good in this role, but when I thought about like a short hair running around, spunky little girl, I kept thinking of Harry's character in Reply 1988. Mm. So, but not necessarily who I want to fantasy cast because I didn't get to this point of casting. <laughs> okay. And then for Steel Wire, I have Ejeok mm. from Alchemy of Souls. Search www yeah. and Extraordinary You, among others. I think that when he plays scary, it's scary. How about Anbo Young? I keep picking older guys because I. Anbo Young. 
I thought of him too. Look, to be honest, I thought of him too because he's so formidable, right? Like you just look at him and you're like very intimidated, whether you're like intimidatingly attracted to him or you're just like, oh my God, like I cannot fathom like this wall of of a dude. Yeah. And I think he's got that like fierceness in the face. And that's what I've been expecting is like when he takes off the mask in the final sequence and he's like, oh my God, he's beautiful. He looks, he compares him to David's, um, yeah, Michelangelo. Michael, Michelangelo's David statue. And you're like, whoa, that's like <laughs> a beautiful man then. So I'm thinking of like a beautiful face. And at first I honestly thought of Chao No. Oh, from okay. Astro. But then I'm like, Chao no, he's, no, he's not, not intimidating. intimidating at all. It would be a stretch for him to try and like really with a knife, like shanking people in an alleyway. Chao No. But I think Ijeuk or Ambohyun can definitely pull it off. Okay, so I think we pretty much covered most of what we wanted to talk about regarding Almond. And I don't remember if I mentioned this. I did want to say we were talking about fan casting. We were talking about this being a great potential drama or movie. But the author actually worked in film. I don't know if you read about that. Yeah, to reading the book. <laughs> so I wonder if I know there's going to be a musical of Almond, which, which I thought was nuts. Yeah. Well, how is that? No pun work? intended. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> Almond musical. I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. How is that going to work or how that'll be? I don't but, know. Uh, maybe I'll fly to Korea to watch it. I don't know. Feels like it'll be a little bit like a Dear Evan Hansen situation. Uh, could you be. Know, where it's like, okay, like some people will gravitate toward it and then L people find it like super problematic or whatever. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, but any final thoughts that you had about the book, the characters, the themes? No, I think that I would just say that it, I. I recommend it. I think you guys should read it. And I know that we spoiled a lot, but I don't think we spoiled too much. It's still definitely worth reading, even if you were yeah. spoiled by our discussion. True. Because <laughs> there's a lot we we kind of just glossed over, but it was yeah. there's so yeah. much. You like the say. tragedies themselves. Like we didn't we didn't talk about that too much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think I think this book does so much to help you consider different types of people, people with kind of personality quirks that we might write off to think about your presumptions of people when you first meet them and to how we sensationalize people who went through because the first incident that we didn't really talk about ended up making the news in the world of this book so people kind of knew who Yoon Jae was when he showed up at school so it's in the sensationalization of people's real life stories like when we read trauma trauma kidnapping disasters anything so I think it would help us all consider how we view people like that so I also recommend this book highly Mm-hmm. And I just have to thank you so much, Jess, for reading the book. I'm happy to have <laughs> asked you to read a book that that made you finally read a book again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I appreciate all your insight and your fan casting expertise. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Special thanks to AO for designing the blog. Special thanks to M. Aruj for the cover art for this podcast. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about this podcast. Okay, thanks. Bye.